0: Uh, not only vertically, talking about the forgiveness we have in Christ, uh, but also how that forgiveness extends to others. And I know many of us have deep scars, uh, a lot of hurt and pain perhaps in the past or even presently, and he's going to walk us through how to find a forgiving heart uh, not based off of the people around us, but based off of the power of the gospel. So it'd be a great time of reconciliation, restoration, I think for many of us. So please, uh, if you can, join us for that retreat. Uh, This morning, we're gonna look at our last psalm in this mini-series. We started about a month ago. Remember, we covered different genres of the psalms. The first one was an instruction psalm, telling us how to live our lives in Psalm 1. Uh, We studied a royal psalm in Psalm 2. king of kings. And we also study lament psalms in Psalms 30 and Psalms 63. And today, it's going to be a psalm about God's glory and the appropriate response to that glory, which is what we call a psalm of praise and adoration. So that's the genre of psalms we're looking at this morning. Next week, uh, we're going to begin our new series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 three chapters. So uh, please look at those verses, those passages this week in preparation for that this coming Sunday. This Psalm 67, it's actually a, a recapitulation of a very important blessing in the Bible, a blessing given to the Israelites way back in number six, when they were wandering in the wilderness. And the first priest, Aaron, He would bless the congregation after each worship service through the benediction. Bena meaning good, diction meaning word, and he would give this good word in these words, in these phrasings, and that's how we get our benediction today for God to bless us as we live our lives out into this world, and that's what Psalm 67 is, so that'll be the theme Of today, not only God's glory, but how that glory gives us this blessing in His Son, Jesus Christ. So, we're gonna approach this uh, in three headings. Number one, the true nature of blessing, the true nature of blessing. Number two, the purpose of blessing, and finally, its result. So, blessing's true nature, the purpose of that blessing, and the final result. Of that blessing. So, with that in mind, let's ask the Lord for His help as we all study His Word. Heavenly Father, God, if your Holy Spirit doesn't come and make these words come alive in our own hearts, unless He comes and persuades us of our sin unless he convinces us just how miserable we are without Christ, unless he gives us hope through these words, God, we are lost. We will leave this place unchanged, vulnerable, and broken. God, we need your word this morning just as much as we need bread. God, feed us. We're hungry for you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So number one, the true nature of blessing. Uh, I apologize, but I'm going to start with a, a technical term here this Sunday morning. There's a term in linguistics, the study of languages, called semantic progression. Semantic progression or semantic drift. Now that word semantic is just a fancy word to say definition, meaning a study of meaning of words. So semantic progression or drift is how a meaning of a word changes over time. And so what we think of a word today might have meant something very differently back then. And there are many examples of that today. Take the word sick. It originally meant to be sick, to be diseased, to not feel well. But today, it means amazing, right? That is sick. That play, that... that, that Uh, music, that is sick, semantic shift. Or another word like the word awful. Did you know that word actually meant to be full of awe? It was a good thing to be awful, but now it means terrible, horrible, right? That is awful. So that's another example of semantic shift. And that's what we see with that word blessing, I think because what it originally meant here, especially in Psalm 67, to what we think of blessing today, I think it's very different. Not only in the church, but in the secular world around us, to be blessed, doesn't it mean to have something? To have some favorable situation to happen to us, so we are blessed when we have a new house. Oh, we are blessed with a newborn child. I am blessed that this ended up happening for me. So we finish all of our statements or lines. I'm blessed because of this. Even when we write our letters, we end it with blessings. The meaning of that word has changed over time. It changed from a state of being. If you remember in Psalm 1, we define blessing as how you are in God, how, how God sustains you. And it's not a reaction to getting something, but it's a state of being by having God himself. And so we see that that word blessing here, it doesn't mean to to just get something that we want or just have something favorable happen to us. However, we do see in Scripture Sometimes that we do talk about blessing in that way when we get something, but let me explain what the difference is. Because in Scripture, we do see time after time, people say, I am blessed that the Lord has blessed me with this child, or the the Lord has given me this land, or even being blessed by being protected from their enemies. But the deeper sense, the deeper notion of that blessing is not that you're blessed because you have these things, but they're blessed because of the God who gave us these things and that's the ultimate meaning the ultimate source of blessing to have god be favorable to us and it gets expressed in the things that we receive it gets expressed in certain situations but at the core of it the bare meaning of being blessed is verse one to have god shine his face upon you to have favorable intent towards you to find you desirable it means for God to embrace us for all eternity in his love, in his embrace. And it's for us to know God, to receive God, to have joy in God, to be in all full of God. That's what blessed means. But the problem is, we suppress this in our hearts, where our deepest desire. The way that we are made to find our satisfaction, as Augustine once said, our hearts are restless unless it finds its rest in you. Although that is the truth, we suppress that truth, as Romans 1 says, and we run after other things. We do not find our blessing in God alone. And we try to shake that truth off, out of our hearts, out of our minds, and we buy in to Satan's lies who convinces us that promotion is what you really need right now. That relationship to end up in a certain way, that is what you really need to be happy. Right now, that day off, that is what you really need right now. Do you know what Satan is saying behind those words? He's saying, worship that promotion. Worship that relationship. Worship that time off. Do you see the words behind those words? Psalm 67 says, Worship God. He's your blessing. He alone is what your heart needs and longs for in and every circumstance. But we suppress this truth. We are deceived by Satan. We buy into the values of the world around us. And as a result, you and I, To be blessed, we love things. We love getting things. We love having certain things pan out the way we want them to. We love promotions. We love comfort. We love comfortable situations. We love fun experiences and vacations. We don't love God. We don't want God. In all honesty, we have no concern. It wouldn't make much of a difference if we had more of God or not because we don't want Him we suppress that. And furthermore, it doesn't show in our lives that we want God. Our affections doesn't go to God. Our affections don't show it. Our our decisions don't reflect it. The content of our conversations, it doesn't give proof that our blessing is in God. Albert Einstein, he once said, the reason why he refuses to believe in Christianity is because based off of what he sees in the world, the beauty and majesty of nature, the beauty and majesty of these scientific formulas and laws taking place, the beauty of the inner workings of man. He says, I see these things, and if Christians say that it is God who is behind those things... How come their affections don't show it? He's saying the world is too beautiful for Christians to be living in such a state where they don't find affections in God. And there is a disconnect between what we say, how we sing, what we believe with the decisions that we make, with where our emotions go, what gets us riled up. There is a huge disconnect, and that is something that Einstein has a hard time believing. We see blessing as getting new things versus seeing God as the ultimate blessing. So here are these words from one commentator. He says, this is how you know this disconnect is true for you. If our hope of blessing lies in possessions, then we will feel greatly blessed when we get new things. Yet, we will also be extremely anxious about losing them. Let's stop right there. What are you most afraid of losing? That job? That person? That future dream? That's where you find your blessing. He continues, if a woman's hope of blessing lies in relationships, she will daydream about the day when her prince will arrive and sweep, off her, sweep her off her feet. Or she will fear that perhaps she will never have the perfect family sitting around the table. We get angry with the object when the object of our blessing seems threatened, and or overjoyed when it seems to be within our grasp and our strong emotions will show us the inner recesses of our hearts. So let's play this out. If someone gets you angry, that means you want that person to act a certain way. You want that person to be a certain way. And what it's saying is you're worshiping a certain situation for that person. That situation is your God or if you get extremely frustrated because something didn't happen the way that you wanted it to, that means somewhere along the line, your heart started to worship that particular outcome and not God. Do you see how easily our heart drifts towards receiving things, receiving certain situations behind God? And you can tell how far apart from God you are by looking at in your emotions. Learn how to read your emotions. Look at what frustrates you, what gets you excited, what makes you anxious, what makes you up, stays you up at night, and read those emotions to see what you believe functionally your true blessing is. And we will see that we suppress the idea that God alone is our blessing. Tim Keller, he once wrote this, if you say, I believe in God, I trusted in God, and he didn't come through, that means you only trusted God to meet your agenda, and your ultimate worship is not God, but your agenda. So have you ever wondered why there is such a disconnect in our hearts, where we will proclaim that our blessing is in God and in Christ, but yet come Monday through Saturday, time and time again, we make decisions, decisions that favor things, certain situations rather than God. Have you wondered why there is such a disconnect in our hearts? Nine times out of ten, ten times out of 10 for me, we choose lesser things rather than God. Why is that? And here's the answer. And I think... It's the best explanation that makes sense. The reason why we choose created things over the Creator, the reason why we we want certain life situations more than God, certain successes over God, certain lustful images over God, money over God, the reason is because we haven't tasted God. It's the only reasonable explanation that I can come up with because this Psalm 67 says that our blessedness, our affection should be in God. And the the only way that we can be dissatisfied with the things in this world is only when we replace those desires with something far more satisfying, far better, far greater And the reason why we keep coming back to those lesser things is because we haven't tasted God in the fullness of who He is, genuinely. If you want to stop being so dominated by the fear of losing that person whom you love so dearly, be dominated by the love of Christ. If you're staying up at night being anxious about your life, not ending up a certain way, make your desire be in God who gives you all that you need, who provides for you and the security and the providential care of your life. Those lesser desires have to be replaced with greater ones. Why? Because you can't just get rid of those desires. They have to be replaced with far better, far satisfying ones. For example... Earlier this week, Joanna and I, we used uh, one of the gift cards that the church uh, graciously gave me, and we used it to go to one of these top-notch steak restaurants called Butcher and Singer, and this is the steak that we had, and it happened during restaurant week, and for $35, as you know, uh, what normally would have been a very expensive cut of steak, uh, we got a three-course meal, but let me tell you something about this steak it wasn't that great <laughs> it was subpar it was mediocre the words of a philadelphian it was aint. all right and joanna agrees how can this be how ungrateful am i right to not enjoy this this expensive cut of steak And here's the reason the reason why we cannot appreciate this steak it's because two years ago, during restaurant week, we went to another restaurant called Capital Grill. And in Capital Grill, they give you a piece of filet mignon for $35. And that cut of steak, as soon as it approaches your tongue, it melts. You don't need teeth to eat that steak, you just need to blow on it, and it melts. And on top of that, you pay $10 more, they put a lobster tail on that steak. Before Joanna came to America, she thought Outback Steak was the greatest steakhouse <laughs> in the world. After having Capitol Grill, Butcher and Singer doesn't compare. And I feel sorry for all of you unfortunate souls who've never soared the heights of Capitol Grill. Now, why does that happen? How can our satisfaction in butcher and singer steak be so low? Because we tasted something greater. If you had not tasted Capitol Grill, Applebee's steak might be the best steak you've ever had. Do you see what's going on here? The only logical explanation why we keep choosing those sins, choosing those worldly desires, is because we haven't genuinely tasted the living source, God himself. Have you tried, tasted God? Have you savored him? Perhaps you've tasted a Costco sample of God back in college. Perhaps at a retreat some years back. But have you gone deeper and deeper in the depths, the breadth, the width, and the heights of God's love for you? Have you ever gotten lost in his word just thinking at just how magnificent his desire is? For you? Have you ever seen his creation? The first words that come out of your mouth is not, wow, look how great this is, but rather, wow, what a great God we have. Have you ever experienced that? If you did, you will not go back to those images. You will not go back to finding money and that day off, be your God. Do you know what it means for it to say that God shines his face upon you? In Exodus 33, Moses, he wanted that so badly. He climbed up Mount Sinai and he says, God, if there's one thing that I want, I want to see your face just for a second. And God says, if any man sees my face, he will utterly be destroyed. We have what Moses craved all of his life, for God to shine his face upon you, the giver of all things. God not only finds you acceptable, he finds you desirable. He wants you. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to be filled with joy, adoration, and pleasure in him. That's what it means to be blessed. Second point, the purpose of that blessing, the purpose of that blessing. And here, I want to explain that God giving his blessing upon us, it's not an isolated event, meaning the final goal of that blessing is not just so that we could feel good. It's not just so that we could be joyful and be satisfied, which is true, but that's not the final purpose, the final ends, why God blesses us. The reason why God blesses us, and it's the title of our message, He blesses us so that we could be a blessing to others. That's the purpose of God's blessing. And I want to support this notion, support this point, by looking at Scripture in three places and. Two of them comes from our our passage here. The first is that verses one and two, so at this micro level, then we're going to zoom out, look at all of Psalm 67, and then we're going to zoom out again, look at all the scripture to show you why I believe that the reason why God blesses you is so that you can be a blessing to others. So let's look at this. The first we see in verses one and two. So let's zoom in to see what the purpose of our blessing is. So look at verse 1. You'll agree with me. That's the blessing, right? That's the nature of blessing. God's face shining upon us, being gracious towards us, having God himself. That's the blessing. Now, as you go to verse 2, we see that the purpose of that blessing, it reads, that your way may be known on earth. Do Do you see the flow? We are blessed so that God may be known on earth. The NIV has the words, so that. God will be known. Do you see the, the shift going towards being an outward blessing towards other? We are blessed so that God will be known to the peoples around us, to the nations around us, and so that God's saving power might be known among the nations. God blesses us so we can be a blessing to others by making God known to others. There's a shift. There's a vertical shift that comes to us, and it goes Outward, and that outward is God's final purpose. That's our first supporting argument. Second, look at Psalm 67. Let's zoom out. Okay, and here we have to study how Hebrew poetry works. One of the ways to emphasize an idea in Hebrew poetry is to put that idea in the center. It's like a hamburger. The meat goes in the middle. And so what we use and what we see is a term we call chiasm, and a as a means it's very simple. You might think it's very hard, but you present idea A, and then you present the main idea B, and then you go back to idea A. A, B, A. It sounds technical, but it's easier than you think. For example, take the three musketeers. All for one, one for all. Do you see what's emphasized in that line? Right? The oneness. Is emphasized. That's chiasm. That's what we see in Hebrew. Here's another example. Here's a recent one that I found reading Calvin and Hobbes. Hobbes, he waits for Calvin to come back to school, and as soon as he opens the door, Hobbes pounces on Calvin and he says, You can take the cat out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the cat. Or is it tiger? Tiger. (laughs) Do you see the chiasm? Jungle or tiger to jungle? Jungle to tiger. And do you see how that jungleness is being emphasized? That's chiasm. We see that here in Psalm 67. If you look on the screen, we see verses 1 and verses 7, the ends, the the bread, to be about God's blessing towards us. You go a step deeper, it's the response, we praise Him. Do you see the same wording versus the second middle? And then what's at the center? What's at the meat of this psalm? Let the nations be glad. It's praise. Let they find their adoration in God and sing for joy. That's the main message, the main point of this psalm. And so everything, your blessing, your praise, is for the purpose of bringing nations, peoples, into praise of God. And what does this mean? Why am I taking the pains to show you all this visually? Because the first point of today's message, us being blessed, it doesn't stay here. That's not the final goal. Why do you think God gives you the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you think God is so small to think it's just to get you? You don't think he's thinking about your parents? Don't you think he's thinking about that worker next to you? that neighbor do you think he takes people one at a time but God in his infinite wisdom he sees how your act of kindness is at least in one bit gonna bring them to see wow that's the love of Christ don't you think that's how God works be a blessing to others why because God has blessed me forgive others not because they deserve it, but because God has forgiven me. Love others, not because they deserve it, because God has loved me. That's Christianity. Let the nations be glad in this. Sing for joy. The peoples praise you. We are blessed by God by being given God himself through Jesus Christ so that we can be the blessing to others. I said I'll give three supporting reasons. I gave you two. We have to zoom out again, and now I want to look at all the scripture that supports this, this notion that we are to be a blessing to others. Let's zoom out again. One thing that I do with some students, some students at Westminster, some students at foundation class, I ask them this question. If you could summarize the Bible in one sentence, what would it be? If you could summarize the whole Bible, which has the history of mankind, everything, in one sentence, what would it be? And, and what we do, we, we try to figure out how we could best formulate it. And you know, people would say, oh, let's put God in there. Uh, glory probably somewhere in there, may Jesus. And we try to put this together. And this is what we get. It is God creating and gathering peoples to himself in Jesus Christ for the praise and adoration of his name. It is God creating and gathering of peoples to himself in Jesus Christ for the purpose, for the result of people glorifying him. That is the point of scripture. Not just Psalm 67. That's where the world is headed. It's an unstoppable force. It's going to end up that way. Let me show you how. Genesis 1:28. We are blessed to be a blessing. God makes Adam and Eve. We studied that, right? This morning, Catechism 9 and 10. And God, what? He blessed them. What happens right after he blesses them? Multiply. Go. Make Excel spreadsheets. Be a blessing to others. Go design. Go give a cup of water in my name. Be patient with your child. Be a blessing to them and multiply my image in these means. Blessed to be a blessing. Let's go a few thousand years later, Genesis chapter 12. God first calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, leave your country. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. Did you catch that? I will bless you and make your name great so that in you, in you, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see the two-part notion here? Blessed to be blessed. If We fast forward all the way to the final book of the Bible, Revelation. Look at chapter 7. It foretells what's going to happen on that final day. And John writes, After this I looked and behold A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see? That's the final picture here. That's where the world is headed. And he started that in Genesis 1. So logically, everything in between your life, my life, is going to contribute to that cause. We can go through all the scripture and we can give example upon example how this is true, that we are blessed to be a blessing. This is the unstoppable mission of God. It's what's driving everything in all of history. It's like reading that end of the book. We know how it's going to end up and if that's true, if this is the case, if that is true for us, here's the question. How are you contributing to that? How are you taking part in that? Is what you're doing, the decisions you're gonna make tomorrow, the things that you're gonna get emotional about, is it about that or your own agenda? Because our schools Your career, how much money you make, it's not there. I don't see it in Revelation 7. I see God's glory. I see us glorifying Him. Ask that question. Why did God bless me? Why did God give Jesus to me? I see Hundreds of people every week in and week out that don't know you, but you somehow made me know about Jesus. Why? Is it Just for you? God's agenda is to bless you so that you would be a blessing to others through the knowledge, the joy, the worship of God. Final point, the result of blessing the result of blessing. Now, There's one more thing to point out in this main verse, verse 4. So, so far, if you've been following, I've been arguing that the driving force of our blessing in God is to be a blessing to others. Now, we see that in verse 4, but if you observe closely, you will see that God is not only glorified as people praise Him, but we also see that God is glorified as He judges the people as he judges them in equity. You see, for the past 20 minutes, I've been trying to show you from the text how everything, how everyone is going to lead into this intentional, this, this initiating worship, this glorifying of God. But if you think, you might wonder, well, that can't be the case because there are many people in the world, billions even, who do not want to do this, who do not want to worship God who do not want to glorify God. So how can we say that everyone is going to come and glorify God? That's not even true in our midst. Here's the answer. God will be glorified when he judges them in righteousness. In his glorification and in his judgment, he will be praised. He will judge all the peoples with equity. He will judge you. He will judge me. Whether every decision that you make, every thought that you think, every word that you speak, every action that you commit either contributes to Revelation 7 or it contributes to your agenda. That's how he's going to judge you. Have you been doing this all of your life? And on that last day, God will be glorified by either you doing that or Him judging you for not doing that. He will be glorified either in praise or in our judgment. Don't worry about God's glory. He will get it. That's the most important, guys, I think the most important question in our lives, how are we going to contribute to that? If that's the last thing. If that's the only thing that matters. Everything we do, everything we think should ask, how does this contribute to that final picture we see? The things you desire the most, the things that rile up your emotions the most. Is it God's glory or is it your pleasure? Is it God's honor or your comfort? Is it God's name or your name? Will that last picture in Revelation 7 be a continuation of how you've been living now for his name in glory, in adoration, or will Revelation 7 be a continuation how you've been living for your name, and he judges you for it? And either outcome, God will be glorified, amen? So how many of you here today can face your maker and say, God, all of my life, my greatest desire was to bring you even one more ounce of glory every single breath that you've given me. That's the standard. How many of you guys can say that? I'll start, I can't say that, I can't say that. Here's the gospel. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that he came and he died for your rebellion against God's agenda. For your refusal to partake in his glory. That's why Jesus died for you. And if you believe in this gospel, then this verse one is true for you. May God be gracious to you. May he bless you, make his face shine upon you, not in judgment. Not in curse, but in love. For he is pleased with you in Jesus. He finds favor in you. The reason why this verse can be true for you is because God said the exact opposite to Jesus on the cross. He said, my face will be hidden from you. I will curse you. I do not find you acceptable nor desirable and my judgment will fall upon you. Jesus heard the opposite of Psalm 67 so that we could hear Psalm 67. For this reason, this news that we have, let the nations be glad and joyful where all you need to do is believe and confess and entrust your life to Jesus, and you will have blessing upon blessing for all eternity. That's good news, right? People need to hear this. It's the final application. This news of the gospel is true for you, and I want to challenge you. Therefore, what is the underlying motive for your life? Knowing what the end holds, how do you want to live the rest of your years? It's a question that we should ask ourselves time to time. And before you answer, I'm going to give you that opportunity to pray that and think about that in our time of prayer after the message. I want to read to you a part of a message that I heard by John Piper because he wrote a book on this psalm. So let me read to you what he said one day to a congregation. He said, three weeks ago, we got news at our church, his church in Minneapolis. We got news that Ruby Eliason and Laurel Edwards, they were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, she was over 80 years old. She was single all her life. She was a nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, she was a medical doctor in the Twin Cities. And in her retirement, she partnered with Ruby. She was also pushing 80 years old. And the two of them were going from village to village in Cameroon and on the way to one particular village. The brakes give way, and over a cliff they go, and they are dead instantly. And he asks, is this a tragedy? Is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified Amongst the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts, they begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and, and New Mexico. Ruby and Laura, they fly instantly into eternity in a moment. Is this a tragedy, he asks. And he says, no, it is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. And he pulls out a page from the Reader's Digest. Do we have those anymore? Small page, and he reads it to them. He reads, Bob and Penny, they took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59, she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot boat They play softball, and they collect seashells. And he finishes by saying, that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy when you're standing before the Lord of the universe to give an account of what you did with the one life that he gave you. And all you can say to him is, look at my seashells. That is a tragedy. Jesus says, blessing is not an abundance of possessions because your life is meant for the eternity of heaven. And this life is in preparation for that. So lay up more and more and more heavenly treasures for yourself when you give that cup of water in Jesus' name when you hold your tongue at your spouse knowing that god is patient with me i'll be patient with him when you put that excel formula in saying i'm doing this for god lay up more more treasures in heaven and ultimately make him known to the people near us and far from us because that's the last picture and you know what i'm going to be doing in revelation 7 I'm going to be fighting through the crowds, people from Zimbabwe, from Morocco, from Cameroon, from Japan. I'm going to say, where's my renewal people at? I'm going to find our little group, and we'll worship. And we're going to tell stories of how every little thing we did here brought at least one more ounce of glory to God. From every chair we put away, from every word of kindness we speak, to every dollar we give to missions, we say, God, it's all yours. Let's pray. As I said earlier, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Pray where you are looking for your blessing. Is it God Himself? Or is it something or some situation? Do not be deceived. Your heart needs God. Let's pray.